Hello, folks. Welcome to, I guess this is episode five wow. um, of a meeting with HR. Cue the intro music. <laughs> Those next steps. Yeah. All right. So last week we discussed uh, Spain's recent law where they passed a law where women could, women could take three to five days off from menstrual leave. We talked about, will that would, would that actually help or increase the already existing equity gap? Um, and we talked about professionalism in 2023, emojis, exclamation marks, um, those things. This week, we are talking about, number one, cameras on or off. I see this all the time, everywhere. I don't know. It, it, I don't see how it continues to get talked about, but maybe that's why. Maybe that's a little figure right here. That's why we're here, yeah. And number two, personality evaluations for good or for evil. I think the juicier one is the personality evaluations. Okay, let's start with that. So when you shared this this topic, Samantha, I I want to guess what I think this is about first, and then I okay, want you perfect. to explain. <laughs> so what I think is companies will have new employees, or maybe even in recruitment complete personality evaluations. And I think the goal, if I were to be pro company, is to understand this person's personality traits or type to be able to either A, understand that they may be a good fit for a role, or B, I don't know actually, when they're already hired, what are you trying to, to understand how you can make them learn better? I'm not sure. Is this, or and from the, or for the evil side, I would say like, obviously this is, this creates bias, I would say in recruitment. And I mean, bias also when you've already hired them in a sense, am I way off? Am I somewhat, <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah, no, no, you, I mean, so in terms of yes, used for hiring a hundred percent. And then when you're already hired, it helps with understanding team dynamics um you know maybe if you want to put somebody on a certain project you want to see okay what like you know what are what are the skill sets that we have on our team who's going to be good for different things right because those personality tests are going to look at how analytical you are um you know how in tune with your emotions you are um how much of a visionary and kind of a forward thinker versus really looking at like the small picture, these kinds of things, right? So yes, can be useful in, in both hiring and for new team members. And then you you hit, you know, when you said the bias thing, that's, I think that's hitting the nail on the head. And the reason that I picked this topic or kind of added it to our list of topics that I wanted to dig into with you, because I was on a call recently with somebody and she was talking to me about how she felt that these, the company she was working with used these personality tests. And she felt that it was actually quite toxic the way that they use them and kind of, they use mm. them to pigeonhole people, but they performance to kind of t say people say to people, well, I know that you're not very strong at this kind of thing based on your, you know, performance and these types of things, but uh, you know, like uh, you need to be doing more of this or that or the other thing. So they kind of like, they, they leverage the results of that to mm -hmm. then almost shame you because you're either not doing something that they, the results say that you should be doing, in which case, why are you not doing your job, you know, to the best of your ability, or, you know, you have this weakness and you're not working hard enough to try and overcome it or, you know, compensate for it or whatever. And it's interesting because I had never heard somebody put it that way. Like for me, I've, I've seen the benefits of personality uh, evaluations, 
there's a lot of them where I think, you know, I, I tend to sometimes not take them with a grain of salt, but I, I think that sometimes they are held to high esteem and they shouldn't necessarily be. But I never went so far as to say that they could be really toxic. And so hearing this perspective from her was something that I was like, ah, this is something that Lee and I can dive into on this podcast to be like, so it like, it, is it like, is it the kind of thing where maybe we mm-hmm. do, like, should we do away with them in certain environments? Like, do you need a to have a safe environment in order for them to be a helpful tool or can they still be used? Like I had all of these questions around that. Okay. So is there like a, a standard personality test or evaluation? No, this is the problem is that there's a variety of different schools of thought. So there's like, there's some that use, um, Oh, what's it called? Purse. It's called PI. Something index performance index. I don't remember. Anyway, there's that one. There's uh, HBDI, which is the Herman brain dominance something. There's the, you know, then you have like, the other ones. Yeah. Like like Myers-Briggs? Is that what we're These talking These are like about? Myers-Briggs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Like there are so many different schools of thought. There are so many different people who have done their research. Ultimately, at the end of the day, they're doing research on brains. So, I mean, they can't all be that much different, right? It really just depends mm-hmm. on, I guess, like how, how you choose to approach things. The biggest issue that I have with and why I usually take them with a small, small grain of salt, I think they're they're still, they have some importance or whatever, but it's just, it's because at the end of the day, every single human being is different and there is so much nuance, right? Like, so a one personality test isn't going to take into consideration intersectionality. It's not going to take into consideration the fact that, you know, maybe you grew up in a really traumatic Uh, childhood or you were growing up in a war zone or you were growing up in a really safe neighborhood with a really happy family whatever and these things influenced how you are but also that our our mindsets the way we approach things and everything they change they change depending on the situations that we're in somebody who's been you know who tends to be really in tune with their emotions and these kinds of things I mean I'm not a psychologist but I feel like you know, all it takes is for you to go through one or two abusive relationships and you end up just becoming more fact-based because it's a, it's a way of protecting yourself. So then do these tests actually pick up on your coping mechanisms or do they pick up on who you genuinely are when you're in a, you know, a good state? And they'll go as far as like, there's a lot of uh, tests that will claim that, well, we ask questions that put you in a mind, like a, a stressful state of mind or kind of replicate that um, so that they can get a good reading of, okay, what's your stress state versus your environment state or whatever the case may be. But even, even there, like, I don't know, the anthropologist in me is like, human beings are so nuanced that I struggle to believe that answering 60 or 30 or 15 questions is going to give us a genuine read on, you know, whatever. So I think they can help mm-hmm. us to understand how we structure teams to help us understand, you know, how is this kind of person going to respond to chaos, uncertainty, like whatever. But I think once place somebody, it's really important to then like get to understand them as a person, as opposed to exclusively focusing on their performance, on their personality evaluation. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Now that we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Like, obviously if there's no standard or general thing, like already it's, it's unfair, you know, it's, yeah. it's uneven. Um, and how, like, this sounds like something I just think is like fun when a new team ever joins and you kind of want to know, like, you know, are they extroverted or introvert? I mean, those are the, I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like, that's the most important thing for me to understand whether like, I'm going to be able to connect with them and like, yeah, foster a relationship with them. So to use this against someone inadvertently, I guess, use it against someone is just, is just completely unfair. 
Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think that's so, the thing, right? Is like, even people tend to use it against themselves too. Like, I think that's the unfortunate thing is mm. we live in societies where we're so focused on putting ourselves into boxes and labeling ourselves that you'll hear people, you'll hear people like, you know, the people who are INTJs are going to walk around and be like, well, I'm like my, you know, my older sister does it all the time. Well, I'm like, you know, a pain in the ass. And I'm really frustrating about these things because I'm an INTJ. And I'm like, no, 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 mm. you're being a pain in the ass because you're being a pain. <laughs> you're, you being an INTJ is different than that and can explain some of like why you react to certain things or whatever, but it's not an excuse for behavior. And it yeah. also like, you know, so it can help you understand how somebody might react. So in that case, it's helpful to say, okay, we have an entire team of, you know, introverts. Okay, when we're planning a, a social activity, we're not going to go and ask them all to do an escape room together. Like that, you know, being locked in a room with a bunch of other people and having to talk to one another sounds like an absolute nightmare, right? So I think it's helpful in those situations. But then but people just it, make it a part of their identity. And I think in this world, we like... We, instead of increasing the amount of rigidity and the amount of boxes and frames that we put people in, I think we should be opening it up a lot, lot more. So if you, I think the toxic side of it is just really how you present it. If you present it as, this is a tool to help you better understand yourself and better understand your team members. However, this is how we're going to use it effectively. And so please don't lean on it as your identity. Just it might help you understand why you do things the way you do and then grow from that. Like, I think it can be really helpful and effective. The issue is that I compare it kind of to vaccines in developing countries where, you know, we tend to think from a Western perspective that like, oh, why do they still have epidemics? We've given them so many vaccines. And it's like, yeah, except for the fact that you haven't actually invested in the infrastructure there to keep giving them boosters, which means that their body builds up resistance to the vaccine that you've given them because they're not getting their booster shots that they need. And so the vaccine becomes ineffective. It's the same thing with this. If you're not doing investing in the follow-up and you're not investing in the upkeep that's required to make these kind of resources actually resource, like, you know, effective and useful, then I don't think that you should be using them at all. Yeah. Okay. So if someone came to you, Samantha, and they said, we want to do this, we want to implement this, what would be your recommendation? I mean, my first question is why? Like what, yeah, what are I knew, you trying I, to do? I knew you were gonna say that. I knew you were gonna say that. I was like, I was hoping you'd skip over that and I, just be like, you're, you're generally. Okay, so in the event that they give me a really positive question and I psychoanalyze the shit out of it, and I'm like, okay, you have been deemed worthy of a of a personality evaluation in your organization. <laughs> and my next step would be, okay, let's we'll do these organizations. My also bringing in a professional. So I would say whatever test you decide to use, let's find somebody who's certified to actually explain the results to the team. It's not just enough to give them the results. We actually need somebody who can explain to them how it's useful. And then what I would maybe do is build it into their one-on-one -on -one structure um, and say, okay, on a quarterly or maybe a monthly basis, check in with this and see if it's still valid. You know, and then maybe on an annual basis, build in a redo your test feature or like a, you know, a little prompt so that people can keep up to date instead of being like, well, five years ago, I was told that I'm a, an INTJ, so I must still be now. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe not, you know? Yeah. Okay. So those would be my high, high level recommendations is just like, make sure that you have somebody who can be effectively implementing it. Make sure that you have, that you're repeating, you know, the process on a semi-regular basis, just so that, you know, if there's any updates, or whatever, you have those and make sure that there's consistency. And so you continue to reference it. So people are using it as a tool as opposed to just doing it once and then assuming that that's how they are and, and acting like that for the rest of their lives. Okay, cool. Um, final thought slash question. Um, what about company? I don't know, these, these new tech companies like Valent, for example, shout out to 
to Allison. Um, it's pronounced Valence. Sure. Valence. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, folks. Um, Valence. Um, I'm not sure how much you know about them, but they're supposedly they help you understand this and provide like AI supported coaching based on your personality. Is that, do you know, first question, do you know about them? Second, uh, do you think this could be effective? Yeah. So it's, so I, I know of them uh, and I know Gina and Allison who work there have become dear friends. Um, so they're great. In terms of the actual, I don't have a lot of experience with that kind of thing, but I do see it being helpful from a scaling perspective and that it is leaning into AI. That's great. And the coaching perspective is, I think, something that's needed. That's why I mentioned, you know, having a certified professional is just you need somebody who can go and say, okay, now what? Um, because if you're just reading like a little pamphlet that says, oh, here are all the things you need to know about your personality, it's the equivalent of going to your local newspaper and reading your horoscope and being like, okay, this is all the decisions that I'm going to make for the week based on this. Like, no, there's so, I think there is so much nuance and there is, it's up to interpretation so much that you need somebody who can help you interpret it, who has the background to do that, right? So I think that an AI feature who has that training from like maybe a psychological or a scientific background and those kinds of things, uh, you know, I'm here for the future of work. I think it could be effective and cheaper. Cool. Yeah, it's just like AI, AI part coaching, help you help team members understand each other's working styles and help build trust and uh, create better habits. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, uh, let's throw this out to the audience. Let's see if uh, anyone has any uh, experience uh, with these personality tests at, in, in a work setting. If so, have you implemented them? Have you thought about implementing them? Uh, cool. Cassie, come on up. Oh, also, also, would you be worried as an employee if you had to do one of, this thing, one of these things? Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. yes. Perfect. I was actually late today and I was like, oh God, I don't want to miss it. Anyway, <laughs> um, I haven't actually had to use the Myers-Briggs at work per se. Like usually when I have used it in a workplace, it's more of like a fun thing and it's not necessarily tied to anything specific. But when I was in school for my entrepreneurship class, um, we had group work for the entire for the entire year. And it was like this project that we worked on for the whole year. And the first thing that we did in that class actually was the Myers-Briggs test. I'm a big Myers-Briggs fan, but um, mm -hmm. that's the first thing that we did. And it was just to see how we were going to work together, like as a group, which I think was honestly really helpful. I think if it was like something that you were forced to do in a workplace. I don't know if it would worry me. I mean, depending on what the employer would do with the results um, and like how seriously they would take them. Cause also the Myers-Briggs test is quite intense. And if you don't answer correctly, like you're going to get something completely different. Um, mm -hmm. But I think if you hold it really lightly and like use it as something like somewhat of a tool, but also fun, I feel like that is a lot different. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was, I have some follow-up questions for you, Cassie. First off, why are you a fan of the Myers-Briggs test? Just I am a fan of it because I actually discovered it when I was much younger. And I've taken it probably four or five times. And things have, like, changed a lot in my life, like, over the years. But I'm an ENTJ, which... I feel like some people are ENTJ haters, but I mean, it's okay. Um, but I've gotten the same, the same results, like, every single time I've taken it. Even if some answers differ and, like, even just, like, as I 
like grow up. Like I've just changed a lot, but it's been very consistent for me. So I think that's why I'm a big fan. And I think because there's time, I don't want to get too much into it, but there's times when you're like growing up where you're like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing or I don't know what's going on. And I don't necessarily use it like to base my whole personality off of because obviously like you guys kind of touched on that, but it's nice to kind of have something that I know is consistent and can be more like a, like a North star kind of just to kind of mm-hmm. point me in the right direction when I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Uh, <laughs> cool. Mm-hmm. You yes. see that's like a baseline baseline. You don't, you don't really like embrace it or you don't rely on it. It's more like, no. okay, this is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Samantha, any, any questions for her follow up? for Cassie no I think it's like I think that's a great perspective is that like just take it lightly and I you know I think it's also what you mentioned Cassie the idea of taking it seriously when you're filling it out because to your point right like if you get distracted or if you're not you know sitting down and you you walk away from it and then you come back it's like your mindset changes and how you interpret the question might change and these kinds of things and so I like that kind of you know cautionary yeah, for sure. Like that one you in particular is just a very, it's very long. And the yeah. way that they word some of the questions, it's like, they're kind of nudging you in a way. Um, But I think if you like, really like understand them, like at a deep level, and just kind of like put in the time to do it, like correctly, then you will mm-hmm. get a good, good answer. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think it's, you know, based on that, then it is as you've kind of been pointing out, it's your motivation, right? Like, for you, it sounds like it's that I like that idea of a North Star to kind of say, this when I'm feeling really, really lost, or I'm feeling disconnected from my intuition or these kinds of things, or I'm just in a really chaotic setting, this helps me to rebalance. And then from there, I can move forward and say, okay, how do I want to handle this situation? But it helps me to understand that, like, I'm not crazy, or I'm not like, whatever, I'm in a stressful state. How do I react in a stressful state? Oh, yeah, this way. Okay, let's, you know, take a deep breath and maybe work through that. So I, you know, I like the intentionality behind it, too, I think is a is an important comment. Um, We're past time on the subject, but Parveen, We'll let you chime in. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get to the cameras on or off. Uh, but <laughs> I worked, my first uh, job in recruitment was actually building a tool that used psychology to hire. On your point, Sam, like it was definitely used for bias. Like there was no room for diversity because what how it worked. And we did have a psychologist in-house who built that and helped explain it. So that was or help build it as well. So that was integral, of course, but it definitely, you know, a company would put their, their, they would get their top performer to take this assessment and then only interview people who matched the same type of result. And so if you want to replicate your top performer, sure, but you're definitely limiting your team. So I, as a recruiter, it worked great because I was able to, you know, help teams like find multiple top performers. But now looking back and now being in the industry for a while, I think it definitely didn't leave any room for diversity. So, yeah, that's, that's a, very. <laughs> I mean, this goes back to this. I mean, this is a whole other topic is culture fit versus culture ad, right? And the idea of like, if you're hiring for culture fit, your company's never going to evolve. And so I think that's the thing too, right? If you're hiring for the exact same profiles, then you're not actually your company's not growing. It's just gonna it, it'll stagnate at a certain point. And interesting. Yeah, I almost think I almost think we should have like actually I guess we didn't talk about personality traits and recruitment too much. Like that could be another another topic or like another yeah. discussion. <laughs> I'm uh, <to> the list. <laughs> okay, next one. Thanks for training, Parveen. Uh, cameras on or off. <laughs> the irony the irony is not lost on us that this is a LinkedIn audio <laughs> event. By the way. <laughs> Like, I, I don't know how or why I keep seeing this all over the place. 
and I'm just here to sort of share. <laughs> I'm here to just, I'm going to share my take on it because I think it's quite simple for me, but obviously we're here to discuss the pros and cons of these and, and get your take and your experiences. Straight up, I'll tell you right now, if it's an employee engagement event, cameras are on. Mm. I, I don't really have any sort of like, the purpose is to engage your employees and participate with each other and doing some sort of activity or exercise cameras on if it's a serious conversation performance management a one-on-one annual check-in cameras on anything else default off ah interesting fight me (laughs) (laughs) oh you know i will um Uh, sorry Go ahead. One more thing. If it's the only time you get to see your team, so like at a board, we're a small company. I only like truly, like I do want to see the team every day. And so we do have like a, a morning scrum where we get to see each other, you know, for a short period of time. But but they know, the whole team knows that if, if there's a reason you can't be on video, maybe you're you're walking and it's just like the camera's just like bobbing. We'd rather you not be on video. If you're not right. feeling well or you fe- aren't feeling comfortable, they know that they can have the cameras off. Yeah. Okay, over to you, Samantha. Um, but here, I'll, my thoughts are I don't have a stance. Um, I, re- I really don't. Like, I, I think I have a lot of clients who talk to me about this and say, like, oh, how do we encourage more of it, whatever. I guess my first question to better understanding this dis- di- dispute, this debacle, is what is like what is the what are we trying to achieve are we trying what we had in the office which is we all get to see each other because i hear this a lot right like yeah oh people didn't have the option to not be on camera for their one-on-one in the office because they had to be one-on-one like in person with their manager so like why would we like you know why would it be any different on their computer the difference is what I, i and i think what we're going to have to really grapple with as a society is that this virtual world that COVID has pushed us all into quite quickly is maybe like the the new stage of work where it's more accessible like I see a lot of things there's a lot of people and groups that I follow on LinkedIn around uh, neurodiversity and autism autism awareness and these kinds of things that talk about the fact that you know the option of being off camera and having really intense conversations can be really really comforting for some people whereas there are other people who prefer to be on camera and see the person on the opposite side because it helps them better read Uh, social like nonverbal cues and those kinds of things that already they struggle to pick up on right so for me it's like a diversity there's a diversity question that's important Mm -hmm. to consider the other side of it too is like engagement know your audience so if you're again if the people on your team are more introverted Mm -hmm. and you're doing a team engagement event that's supposed to be for their benefit and you're forcing everybody to be on camera you're actually just making everybody miserable because nobody wanted to be there in the first place. And maybe they would have preferred to do an asynchronous team engagement event through Slack. <laughs> you know, I'm like, there, there's those kinds of things to consider. For me, my like the biggest on-camera one, which is, I think, a strange one maybe for most people, is presentations. I say it's strange because like, why does your camera need to be on if everybody's looking at the screen? For me, I have done so many presentations since COVID started where people just turn their camera off the second that the presentation, like I share my screen. And there is nothing more insulting for me than just a bunch of people being off camera because I have no idea if they're paying attention. And for me, it's like, I want to know that you're engaged. I look at people's faces to see, are they smiling? Are they laughing? If they're disengaged, I need to change up my tune. I need to change the, you know, the, the way I'm talking about things, like whatever. 
there's a, it gives me a lot of that, that those touch points that I need. So for me, ironically, uh, you know, one of those moments that I think a lot of people don't force on camera, I am a huge fan of having uh, people on camera. But the, the one thing that I will say is, look, if you want to be off camera, just give people a heads up. Usually, you know, at least 20, 20, 30 minutes before your meeting, if you're going to, if you're comfortable or not comfortable uh, being on camera for your call. In which case, send your group, like if it's a team meeting, like a town hall, that kind of thing, send a message in your in your Slack culture channel or whatever, being like, hey, folks, just not feeling it today or woke up really sick or, you know, my partner is working behind me and would rather not be on camera, like whatever the case may be. Just give people a heads up. Because for me, like the whole debate on camera, on camera, off, I think really just comes down to respect and what is respect and how are you respecting your team members? How are you engaging with them? And if people understand why your camera's off, then suddenly they actually feel more connected to you because that's, you know, you're all sharing in some vulnerable way. So that's, I guess my, to tie it up with a bow. Okay. So when I, when I do presentations or when I've done presentations and I've seen people like turn their videos off, I, I started changing my ways and taking that as, okay, Lee, you need to step up the, the engagement. Mm. And so what I started doing was calling people out. <laughs> like, so I'm like, you know, I had like, share a point and then I'd be like oh so what do you think about that person with the camera off <laughs> you, you're that person <laughs> <laughs> I I just see that as if someone has their camera camera on or off I, I don't see that as as disengaged or engaged I see mm. it as uh, a preference if they didn't pay attention then maybe I wasn't engaging enough or they shouldn't have been here in the first place mm. um, but that logic a, doesn't apply to to like team building things or whatever Correct. Interesting. Team building to me is is like if I can't physically be in the same location as all my team members, then yeah, I do I do believe that it's important that you get to see them as you're doing some sort of activity or exercise together. Um, mm. Seeing their reactions and seeing how they like it it really helps me understand who they are as humans and how I can, you know, again build or foster that relationship further. Mm. The second thing you, what was the second thing you, you shared? In terms of, um, in terms of engagement, like people like not being in meetings. I mean, diversity, we talked about that as well. Oh, I remember. Yeah. So when I'm on meetings with video, um, Mm -hmm. it's, I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted afterwards. And what I've found is if I go audio only and I walk around my place while I'm Mm -hmm. having this conversation, like I, how I am right now. I yeah. think so much clearer yeah. and I'm able to have a deeper conversation. Yeah. So I don't know. So that that's why I kind of like, I leave the preference up to the individual because again, you, you don't necessarily know how they feel about it or how tiring or exhausting it may, you know, I wouldn't want, I don't want my team members to come off a call and be completely exhausted. <laughs> True. Yeah. No. And that's um, fair. So for one-on-ones, yeah. you would give them that option to kind of say, if you'd rather there's just, just be an audio call, then let's do that. But if you're open to video, let's do video. Like the baseline expectation for me is video for one-on-one okay. specifically. But yeah. if they say, hey, I can I can be more comfortable and be more open and we can have a better conversation with my video off, mm. then like it's totally, totally welcomed. That's fair. Um, I like that. It encourages healthy communication. And then you get to know, you know them better and, and why like, what they're comfortable with, which allows you to plan more effectively for other engagement things and, you know, and their growth as well, like what they'd like to develop. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. Out to the audience question. How do you feel about cameras on or off? Do you enforce it? 
Do you not enforce it? Do you care? Do you still see high engagement without forcing it? Do you feel comfortable cameras on or off? What's your preference? Anyone else? Oh, Kathy. Right. Cameras on or off debate. Um, I do think um, like what you mentioned, Samantha, about it being like more accessible for people working from home who are like neurodivergent or whatnot. I think that that's great. Um, I don't mind having my camera on like I, I'm, I'm used to it. And like, I do like to see other people. But I will say, sometimes I turn it off because my computer sounds like it's going to fly away when I have like a bunch of things open. So I just like cannot keep it on for for that sake, you know? So that's yeah, fair. that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I mean, uh, that's also the other question around like, are you are you providing hardware for your employees that allows them to, you know, be working on the things uh, that they're doing, have the spreadsheet open, you've sent them, but then also do video calls? Or are you expecting them to use, you know, a webcam they got off Kijiji that eats half of the RAM when they're trying to, you know, do other things? Exactly. Uh, so, yes. Throw that in the brainstorm sheet, Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> Expectations versus hardware available. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you, Cassie. Thank you, everyone, for participating. Good chat. Again, let us know uh, if you have topics you want to hear. Every two weeks, you will find us on LinkedIn Audio Events, wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Samantha. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, Lee. Yeah. Bye.